Hello and welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast hosted by Bloomberg Intelligence. In this podcast series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Mandeep and with me today is Shen He, HTC's global head of product. We're recording this podcast episode right from HTC's booth at the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Shen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Great. So, look, uh, we were at the booth just now, and you know, clearly, you have a lot of demos going on at the uh, show, and uh, the focus seems to be on VR and the new product line that you have just released. And I uh, wanted to hear from your perspective. What are your views on Metaverse and how do you think this market will evolve given HTC was one of the earliest ones to release a VR headset back in 2015? Yeah, our view on the Metaverse is that it's kind of always existed. It's not something that's going to one day exists all of a sudden. You know, how we use social media, how we use video gaming, video chats even, that's all kind of part of the metaverse. It's part of that growth. So when it comes to how we build out immersive experiences into the metaverse, right? That's where the heritage comes from. Our, you know, experience with VR and now mixed reality as well. And HC has generally been more of a hardware-centric company, but now we're more of a full solutions company, right? If you look around the booth, we have yeah, the latest and greatest in hardware, right? It's, it's the best mixed reality headset on the market right now. It's super light, um, very versatile, incredibly, plump, uh, incredibly comfortable. But we're also showing, you know, new content and content creation that's going to be really important for the metaverse. We're showing off Primer 5G, which is important for delivering the infrastructure that's required for immersive experiences as well. And, you know, lastly, but not, you know, we also have Viveverse for Business being announced here. Viveverse is our take on the metaverse. And it has, you know, we have three key goals. We want to build, we, we see a vision of the metaverse being something that's open, interoperable, and also secure, right? The internet is kind of a miracle. It evolved to be like this because, you know, its, it's conception was something that universities can use to talk to each other and share information. It was designed to be open and interoperable. Right now, you're seeing, you know, social media companies and other companies building kind of walled gardens when it comes to the metaverse because they want to own it, right? If you own it, you profit off it. But our take is it has to grow something like the internet, right? You know, the internet works because you have one browser that can go on thousands of web pages, millions of web pages, and they can hyperlink towards each other. And Right now, the way the metaverse is being built feels more like an eventuality where the analogy would be you have a browser for every single web page, which sounds horrible, right? That's not a way for that to grow. It's a way for specific walled gardens to grow well in their specific space. So, you know, saying that is one thing, but how do we do it, right? So we build upon open, you know, open standards like VRM for avatars, right? Um, you know, we have a heritage of also building upon blockchain technologies. You know, the whole idea is I want to be able to have an avatar and payment services that I can take between worlds. So 
we don't, I don't want to be having to create a new avatar for every single thing, you know, submit my credit card or, you know, crypto details in every single thing. I, I want to be able to stay that with me wherever I go. And as companies are starting to realize, you know, the metaverse is important, right? It's, it's a future we need to look at. They are kind of clueless about... Can I uh, interject over there? So obviously this term was new and, you know, Meta really brought this term, uh, kind of took it mainstream last year by changing the name of the company. Like, why do you think, uh, you know, this is the moment where you, you're going to see this concept of Metaverse really take off? Because as you said, you know, there are no standards. Like, who is setting the standards here? It's funny. The existing standards right now are kind of set by the community, right? The VR community. For example, VRM came from people who wanted to do VTubing or they wanted to bring virtual avatars, custom virtual avatars in specific online social applications like VR chats, right? So we're kind of building off that because it's a community that already knows what they're doing. They've figured out a lot of the problems. And if you have a VRM avatar, you can bring it to Viverse, right? It's, it's a fundamental way of architecting how you build things. And that's why I say, you know, building out tools that can leverage these for companies that have no idea what they're doing. It means that all of these, you know, these partners that we you know, have been really interested in uh, Viverse Business are like, whoa, this is like what I need. And now I kind of know the direction I need to go. And if I build this, I will have existing users that are kind of, you know, already working on these standards that I can bring in, right? And then I also want to be interoperable with, with others as well. But I mean, Meta is spending $15, $20 billion a year. And, you know, they, they do their own CapEx on building these data centers that can uh, run Metaverse type workloads. Like for a company like STC that clearly has been a pioneer in this field, has been investing for a long time. But don't you think, you know, scale matters with anything that, uh, you know, is equated to internet and companies that can spend more like Meta or like Microsoft have an advantage in this case because of their spending power? I think it's, it's a little, um, it's a good question in that, yes, you need scale, right? Um, but, and there are certain things that money can't buy. You have to approach things smartly. We aren't a company that, you know, our business model isn't about setting data. It's not about, you know, setting ads, but for us, it's about, okay, so how, we have established relationships, established technologies. Um, so for example, at Mobile World Congress, we've been working, you know, this, you know, talking to carriers. They've been coming to Dover and looking at everything they're creating. And it's shown a lot of interest because we already, it's something that we've kind of proven already. We work with Eti Salat, you know, one of the biggest carriers in the Middle East to build out their metaverse. And the success of that is also why so many other carriers are now coming to us and saying, hey, that was cool. Like that looks like something that we want to do as well. How do we do that? Right? So for us, we're not throwing money at the problem. We're trying to figure out how to solve it smartly. And also, you know, we, you know, we really value user privacy, user security. So we build out everything with privacy you know, in mind when it comes to designs. So, you know, and that I think is also incredibly valuable for users. So as we, as we kind of build these 
um, systems out, it means that you know we have users that are that know like, hey, if I'm if I'm here, I'm building off open standards, right? It's somewhat being audited as well. And then we have partners coming in and saying, hey, we don't really know how to build a metaverse. How do we how do we build this? And if we work with partners like carriers, we inherently have that sense of scale. Yeah, I mean, having done a lot of survey work in this space, we know one of the things that consumers uh, don't like about the metaverse experience is the form factor. It feels like, you know, the headset is very bulky or just you can't use it for more than an hour or so. So do you think you are close to solving that problem? The industry as a whole is close to solving that problem? Yeah, I think solving that problem is also something that's kind of not black and white either. It's It will be a progression. Right. And I think we've kind of shown that we really care about that. We, we care about accessibility. You know, we care about the ability for users to adopt our technologies. So if you look at Vive XR Elite, what we just announced at CES, you know, it's incredibly small. It's a really small form factor that hasn't really been achieved by others with the kind of performance, because that was our goal. We built out all of our, you know, we spent a few years building out all of these key technologies like tracking, runtimes. Um, these are all in-house. So now we're squeezing them into a smaller form factor, still maintaining that performance. But now in a form factor which has the right set of trade-offs where users are willing to use it, right? So, you know, we're one of the few headsets that doesn't have a top strap. Because some people have different heads, uh, hairstyles, right? You know, we have um, employees internally who, you know, wear turbans and they love the glasses form factor. It's really versatile to swap into glasses and I can wear it. Right. And we really care about the accessibility of that. And things like we added diopters. So you don't have to wear glasses. You can put it on adjusted diopters so you can see clearly. Um, you know, things like stepless IBDs. What we think matters is the user experience. Right. You don't, you know, we, we don't want to join this race to the bottom of cheap hardware. We're trying to build out experiences where the first time you see it, like you are sold. But don't you think pricing is an issue when you're looking at, you know, mass adoption? If you're selling a $1,000 headset, it becomes much more expensive than buying a watch or, you know, an AirPod, which is... A, of course it is. Yeah, it's, it's all about value at the end of the day, right? So um, think about how most people go into smartphones. They probably had a really cheap smartphone to start off with, and then they found the value in having something better. Generally, it was more driven by things like photography. Um, so... You know, we're trying to offer something, you know, if you really want to race to the bottom, you have something like Google Cardboard, right? And most people who tried Google Cardboard got sick because it was something like a roller coaster experience. And it kind of put them off VR for several years. So we're trying to build an experience where that doesn't do that. And also we're trying to provide something where, you know, having this race to the bottom by a lot of other companies also provides a benefit of, it's allowed a lot more people to get into the VR space, right? That were just curious and might have been an impulse buy. But now, now that they've, they've seen value in it, there's something better to upgrade to, something that's less cost compromised, right? If, you know, people that wear Vivex RLE, especially those that have tried VR before, the, the first thing they say, and like, it's no bias, it's everything I, every time I hear it is, this is the most comfortable head to have all, right? And that is key in creating, you know, the next, like what's next, right? To drive that adoption, bring something that's more accommodating um, for that, those kind of things. Maybe let's pivot to content because ultimately, you know, when, when I look at 
why smartphone is such a big market and how, you know, people have changed their behaviors over the years since the first iPhone was launched or smart, first smartphone came to the scene. It's about, you know, the content that these app stores uh, provide. So can you give us a sense of how much content is currently available in terms of VR type of use cases and how do you expect that ramp on the content side? Yeah, so we started with PC VR content, right? Because that's where like, VR was able to run. And there are thousands of pieces of content. I think, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but, you know, five years ago, it was at like three or 4,000. So it's even bigger since then. And with something like Vivex Elite, you know, we specifically also built in the technologies that you can stream from a PC, whether it's through a cable or even wirelessly now. So you're com you can have a completely untethered experience. Even with our private 5G demo, we're streaming over 5G, right? Really showing off, you know, as that kind of computation becomes more accessible and democratized. You know, you can have really immersive experiences on the go. The Vivex RLE, you know, it's our first entrance into the all-in-one space for consumers. So we've put a lot of effort into bringing um, over 100 pieces of new content uh, to Vivex RLE within its, its launch window, right? And, you know, it's one of the, the biggest efforts that we have ever put in terms of content. It's you know, as big as, you know, what we did for the original Vive. And that drove thousands of pieces of content. And with the accessibility of how um, with Vive XR Elites, you know, an all-in-one, right? You don't have to sell up external senses. You don't need to sell up a PC. You pick it up and go. We only see that growing. And as our, you know, user base grows, it makes it even more profitable for content. It makes us able to invest in even more contents to bring onto the platform. You know, we're seeing also content shift. It started off being gaming because you needed a gaming piece to do it. But now it's becoming more lifestyle, right? We're seeing things like fitness. And things like fitness, you have to also enable with hardware, right? You want something that's lightweight, something that's not going to fall off your head. That's something that can manage you know, ventilation. And that's why we're showing things like, you know, Kayak, right? The front, Resil Player 22. Because it's now gone to a place where, you know, Kayak gives you a really immersive experience. But, and it's... You know, a really small form of that's headset, 273 grams in the glasses mode. Rezzle has mixed reality. So you actually are doing fitness in your room with virtual elements, right? These are new ways of interacting that you didn't really have before. You know, we've now created, you know, we've now released one of the best mixed reality headsets out there. And as developers get their hands on it, right? Every time I show it to an to a experienced VR developer, they kind of land into two different categories. One is, I've had a ton of ideas and no headset could do this until now. I'm going to try and put some effort into those. And the other type is, you've just like blown my mind in terms of what I can actually do as a next generation of immersive content. So we're really excited to see in the coming months what developers come out with. So we're not just you know, investing in existing content, we're investing in new content. Right. And we're working with developers who, you know, are, are have been working on some stuff and they're like, oh, Vivex are elite. We need to target this. Right. So we're, and that's just immersive content. Here we're showing virtual production, right? How do we create content? How do we create tools for content? We have uh, Vive Originals with Beat Day, right? The metaverse theme parks. But the whole goal is that, you know, they're really experiencing capturing volumetric content. So, 
you know, generally when you see music concerts in VR, it's like a video or it's a cartoony avatar. Um, but what they're doing is actually doing real volumetric scans that are in motion. So the benefits is you don't have the issue of a, the uncanny valley, but also it means that you can have these giant concert groups that you can fly around uh, the performer, right? And like new ways of experiencing a concert is also like incredible. And we haven't really seen many people do stuff. And since, you know, uh, there's so much talk about generative AIs uh, this year, wondering if there is a feedback loop where AI kicks in as, you know, there is more user-generated content or is it at this time, it's more about just giving uh, developers the tools and then AI would be much later. I think AI is a really good tool for developers, right? It, it brings, you know, for designers, it can it can really reduce some of the more tedious work or it can bring new inspirations. For an engineer, it can also, um, you know, it can help you write code, you know, but there is a challenge, which is AI is still kind of very in an immature phase. You can think of it kind of like a child that has a ton of information, but it can be really confidently wrong about things, right? We haven't had the time to teach the likes of, you know, GPT models, the difference between right and wrong. Right. What is something that is, you know, um, or something that's you know, reasonable and unreasonable. So we have to take a careful approach with that because all of that also takes account of a lot of potential user dates. And we want to make sure that, you know, you know, there've been papers about how you can extract some of the training data from some models, right? We have to be careful with stuff like that, especially when it comes to uh, VR and AR models where, you know, these headsets are using cameras to do tracking. Right, we build out systems in place so that those can't be extracted by things like malware, right, or a rogue developer. Um, so we're kind of being careful with that. But as I said, you know, AI is good for designers and design, good for engineers and engineering, but also vice versa, right? You can bring like design to an engineer who doesn't have any design skills, who just wants like some assets, and also vice versa. So I think there are a lot of ways to have AI create tools. But it can also be some way of democratizing creation for normal users. If you don't know how to write code, if you don't know how to make des like design, potentially, you know, one day with just saying something, right? Like, you know, one day if I want to say, hey, this is my home space in VR. Can I have a chair that, you know, is from this specific, like that looks in this specific style made of this specific material and it's done, right? In the real world, you're limited by the, you know, realities of physics and what's available. Or you have to make it yourself. In VR, you don't have those limitations. Maybe uh, we can pivot to the number of concurrent users and what that could do to, you know, drive that uh, social aspect because everyone keeps talking about and Meta, when they launched this concept, said, you know, this is the next version of social media or social networks. So is there right now a limitation in terms of the number of concurrent users you can have who are using VR headsets for some sort of a gaming use case or any other industrial type of use case? It's a good question. It's not what I'm particularly familiar with, but you know, in terms of how we build out like Viverse, we can have hundreds of people in that, right? And it's end up being a scaling problem. Um, and there are ways of solving certain, solving certain challenges. Like if you imagine, you know, you have a scene, 
and you have, and it's able to accommodate something like a thousand users. That's a thousand avatars in there that you also have to render, right? And so how do you resolve those challenges? Even like MMOs have those challenges, right? There are games where they stop showing customized avatars, show like a grayed out ghost if you're playing on mobile because it will hurt the performance of, of your device. So I think gaming has solved some of those challenges. I think we have to look at some of those as we scale up. Um, but then at the end of the day, it's also about how do we bring value to, to the metaverse that makes you want to come back. And that's also how we grow that space as well. But, you know, it's a very good question. We, we've been looking at that. You know, we built out Vive Sync as a meeting application, which can also have, I'll have to get back to you on the number of Confirm users, but, you know, we've had board meetings in there. We've had company meetings in there as well. Um, and, you know, that's helped resolve some issues. And, you know, even video chat platforms, some of them aren't able to have multiple concurrent streams. So I think there are challenges on client side, platform side, and just overall user interface designs um, that we'd have to go through and we would really have to think about. And so it's a little hard to answer. What could be a bigger use case? Uh, will Metaverse uh, kind of replace or be the next iteration of how video conference or Zoom experiences and, uh, you know, you think it can really enhance that? Or would it be more along the lines of, you know, people not coming to a show like this where there are almost 100,000 attendees and preferring to, you know, get the same experience virtually, which you can have right now, but it's really focused on... I think, I think both are similar. It's somewhere in the middle, right? Um, we like face-to-face -face because we see things like facial expressions, body language. That's something you don't get. You know, you get some facial language on Zoom, but you don't get things like direct eye, eye contact. Um, you don't see body language. And especially some people on Zoom don't even turn on their cameras. When you, when you have these experiences through, you know, as I said, we have a meeting application where we have, you know, hand gestures, body tracking, eye and facial tracking, right? And facial tracking is like 38 different shapes around your face is all being tracked and projected in your avatar. You can have those realistic, um, more human interactions through that, which doesn't replace human interaction, but it brings that level that, you know, video conferencing can't break. You know, there are certain times where you might not get along with someone on a video chat, but when you actually see them in person, it's fine, right? Those are challenges that every company faces. And that's something that uh, immersive technologies and, you know, new technologies in tracking can really bring a benefit to. So what I'm hearing is uh, probably the use cases are more around consumer tech I mean, uh, there were certain sessions where they highlighted, you know, businesses may actually be early adopters in terms of, you know, the use cases that they are solving for using VR and AR. But in your mind, still, you know, the big prize is, can you develop that killer use case when it comes to consumer tech? I think we focus on both. And we have different products. We have products that are for enterprise, products for consumer. And we do very well in both. And... In terms of how technology generally evolves, it's a lot of advanced innovative technologies are kind of bankrolled by businesses. 
Think about smartphones. They started off as PDAs. And even then, businesses were like, why would I ever want to see email on my phone? And now we all do, right? We look at texts, we look at emails, we look at web pages on our phones. And, you know, even as something like, I like to use the analogy of like, you know, it takes time for people to get accommodated with new technology. Think about 12 years ago, phones were three inches. And people laughed at the idea of a six-inch phone. Like, you know, at that point in time, the phablet was a thing. No one uses the term phablet anymore because everything is that, you know, what a phablet was supposed to be, which is a large phone. But what, how, how people evolved into it is because of use cases, right? It had to bring value to do that. And that's the same thing of, you know, why do so many people have high-end smartphones? Because there's value there for them. And that's what we're trying to do with building out content, building out platform, um, building out use cases and building out, you know, high-end hardware is we want to bring good experiences and high-end value for people. And we genuinely believe that we can. So, uh, I mean, just piggybacking on that comment, do you think then uh, VR, AR can disrupt the TV or the, you know, the tablet market, for example, because now you don't have to look at a screen to interact with that technology or that PC or that hardware. And you're basically wearing that headset and you're not limited by, you know, where you have to focus on. It's an interesting question. Yeah. And personally, it's to replace the tablet. Um, if we're talking about existing technologies, I can now go on a plane and I don't have to take my tablet out. I can put on, you know, the glasses are kind of like a water bottle. I unfold them, put them on, plug them into the USB slot on the side of my, on the blade. And now I have a 300 inch screen that I can play videos on, right? I don't need a tablet for that anymore, right? And that's the same for, you know, Sometimes at work, I, you know, we have, we're working on productivity tools. And one of the things that we're building is, you know, a virtual office. And I can go, you know, I don't have to take my laptop or anything. Uh, no, I don't have to take my tablet anywhere. I can take my laptop, right, and have, you know, a virtual display. I can have three virtual displays yeah. in a Starbucks, just with a, with a small headset, right, and bring the same level of productivity. And I think eventually one day I don't, shouldn't even need to have my laptop, right? If you think about, you know, joining Zoom conferences, right, you generally want to use your laptop because you can do things like screen sharing, right? User experiences that you kind of used to. And it's kind of like a scary thing of how do I screen share from my phone and stuff like that. But if we build out tools in a metaverse that are analogous and you're kind of piggyback off things that you're used to, like having, you know, virtual displays that, you know, you can see here at our booth, we, you can screen share that onto something like Teams or Zoom through a, you know, maybe a cloud-based PC, right? You can still have that experience. But I have this small thing I carry with me and eventually you'll be a pair of glasses. I don't have to carry a bag with a laptop in it anymore. Last question before I segue into my final five minutes where I like to ask some rapid fire questions. So uh, do, do you think there is anything limiting right now in terms of a catalyst or anything that's limiting uh, on the hardware side that's preventing the, you know, the pace of adoption? I think there's a lot of things. When we've been trying to break through a lot of them, there are, you know, limitations in cost and scale of a lot of the technologies that drive it. There are limitations in, you know, form factor that we've been breaking through. You know, we have, as I said, one of the most comfortable headsets. But that doesn't mean we're going to stop there. We're going to continue and to innovate on that. You know, 
the goal is glasses. The goal is a pair of glasses, right? So how do we get there? And we, we will slowly, you know, make our way through there with new display technologies, new, you know, chipset technologies. Great. So uh, let me just quickly go through the rapid fire questions. Uh, any misconceptions about Metaverse or HTC uh, that you want to clear on this podcast? That is an interesting question. Um, you know, I like, I say, you know, HTC, a lot of people go, oh, that's a smartphone company, right? That's the, they, they make hardware, right? And what we've been trying to show at MWC is that we've really diversified our portfolio into, you know, bringing solutions. That's what our customers value is something that, you know, if I want to get into this space, I don't just need hardware. I need hardware. I need content. I need, you know, infrastructure or I need platform to manage it. And that's what we're being able to build. So HC is a very different HC to what you, a lot of people kind of uh, have known in the past. Right. What could go wrong with the assumptions about, you know, just this whole market and how you are planning to, you know, benefit from this trend uh, of metaverse? I think this race to the bottom has set unreasonable expectations on how much it costs for immersive technology right now. And I think Ford did a really good article, which is like, we, you know, HTC is kind of showing what the cost of privacy is. Um, but also for us, it's not just about that. It's about building good experiences. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, the idea of people using VR for the first time with a Google Cardboard with a roller coaster and, you know, feeling sick and destroying that, that's a massive danger to immersive technology, right? You, 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 your first interaction with it has to be good. If it makes you sick, you're never going to want to touch it again. Great. And uh, do you think uh, there will be a point where uh, gaming is a much bigger market as a result of Metaverse? I think gaming has always been a growing market. I think what's going to grow is the gamification of a lot of normal applications like fitness, right? Fitness being gamified. I like to talk about a real world experience with me, which is I hate squats. I hate it with a passion. I'll do 10 because someone tells me to do it and I just won't do it anymore. But I will find myself in certain applications, like certain games where I might be dodging bullets. And after half an hour, my legs are sore. Like, wait, I just did squats. Like I did like a hundred of them without noticing. And I think immersive tech can bring stuff like that that will really change how people um, live and really improve their lives as well. You know, we've been building out even, you know, we have an arm which is called Vivas. They work with museums to bring in massive technologies, whether it's like the Mona Lisa. If you've ever been, it's a really small painting in a really crowded room where people are holding out iPads. You're not going to see it. You're not going to be able to really experience it. And we're, you know, we build our experiences to really show off that kind of content, but also bring it to people who may not be financially or even physically able to actually visit something like that. And that's something, you know, those are one of the, our, our core goals of, of what Viverse means to us. And finally, uh, do you have an avatar in the metaverse? I do have an avatar in the metaverse. And unfortunately, it's really boring. It's just me. Um, I haven't found any weird avatars that represent me very well. So it's, it's just me. It's very boring.
Great. Uh, Shen, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time and wish you the very best and all the success. Thank you for coming to visit us.